to the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Tonight we're talking OU football recruiting, some of the fallout from the weekend situation that we saw. We'll talk OU softball, Super Regional Preview with Clemson, and we'll talk OU baseball and their outlook for the Big 12 tournament and postseason in general. And then we'll wrap up our show this evening with a special top five. We'll get to that here in a moment. But before we do, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam. Very excited about this upcoming weekend. Uh, this is probably the most excited I've been about a softball uh, series in quite some time. Probably the most excited I've been since OU UCLA at the very beginning of the year. And I think OU is going to have a little bit tougher time than what I think a lot of people are giving Clemson credit for. Uh, obviously, we'll dive into that here in a little bit. But things are good. Family was able to come into town over the weekend. Um, good to spend some time with them and uh, just kind of watching the uh, watching the clock, kind of counting down the days until football uh, season gets here, but things are good, man. I'm excited to talk some diamond sports and really excited about the top five uh, list that we've got at the very end of the podcast. So uh, all the listeners out there, stay tuned uh, to get your thoughts on that. But yeah, man, let's just kind of dive into recruiting. Uh, kind of a tough, tough weekend for for OU fans, um, obviously with the commitment of uh, Zadavian Sims, uh, kind of uh, burning Oklahoma at the very end and choosing to go out west to uh, Eugene, Oregon with Dan Landing and the Ducks. So you know, Adam, there's been kind of, uh, I, I kind of feel like more attention, more focus has been put on the uh, fallout from this recruitment and, uh, you know, kind of less about, you know, what it looks like, uh, what Oklahoma is going to do moving forward. If that bridge has been burnt, if there's possibly an opportunity for OU to get back in with Sims, obviously with seven more months until early national signing day, but just kind of, kind of what are your, you know, overall thoughts with Sims and kind of where Oklahoma goes from here? Well, it's interesting because you definitely have two sides of the fan base here, you know, different depending, I guess, on which recruiting service you might follow. There's some that were thinking that OU was really not much of a focus for Zadavian Sims based on some of the visits, based on some of the things you heard probably outside of the kid's mouth and around those people directly around him. And then you had some people that were probably listening a little bit closer to the recruit himself. And I think he kind of told people what they really wanted to hear, um, you know, I was a teenager at one point. I made a lot of poor decisions with a lot of immaturity at that stage of my life. So I kind of understand that. Um, hopefully he learns from that and chooses to handle things a little bit better going forward in life. Um, that's part of growing up and becoming an adult. But um, I think it kind of depends on which, you know, which person you were looking for, for your source there. Were you looking for an answer from Zadavian Sims from, you know, the people around him in his mouth, or were you looking for the actual tea leaves and the signs of what are people in Oregon hearing? What are people in Oklahoma hearing and feeling? And so I think if you were looking in the latter there, you probably weren't surprised by this particular situation. And yes, he's a guy that OU wanted. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but there's a lot of discrepancy in his rankings. You know, I think rivals mm -hmm. have highly and some other services don't have him nearly as highly. He's still a good player. He's still probably top 250, you know, top 300 type of guy, something that you definitely want at OU. But at the end of the day, if OU said, hey, we want to pick, and we can pick and choose whoever we want on the defensive line. Zadavian Sims is probably pick five, six, seven, hmm. somewhere along those those lines <clears throat> that OU's currently targeting. Look at the graphic we put out a few weeks ago, the fearsome foursome. He wasn't on there, mainly because I, I think we didn't think he was necessarily looking at OU that that close. Mm -hmm. And I, he's not, you know, as highly ranked as some of those other guys. So hope, hopefully he has success, but I think OU's going to have bigger fish that they're going to be able to pull in at the end of the day as well. Yeah, you make a really good point, Adam, and just kind of looking at the list here, some of the guys at Oklahoma is still in a really good position for, obviously, a few more months away from the early national signing day. Obviously, Nigel Smith, David Stone, Williams Winery, and Joseph Jonah Ajanye, four guys. If you put some truth serum in Todd Bates' coffee, 
those are four guys that are, you know, significantly ahead of, you know, Zadavian Sims. But one of the things, especially with Oklahoma transitioning into the SEC, is that even though, yes, he isn't in your, you know, top three or four choices, you still have to have that depth. You still have to build the quality of talent in that defensive tackle room. And that's obviously something where, you know, he's I know that he's the the number two overall player in the state of Oklahoma, depending on what rankings you're looking at, which platform. But it's still at a position of need. It's still a big body. It's still a guy, you know, that has a lot of the tools that you see some of the you know more successful defensive linemen in the collegiate rankings the, the way that they're able to perform with those tools um, but again I, I think that one of the biggest things is it's not so much the fact that um, Oklahoma wasn't able to close out on this kid I think from some of the things that you know we were hearing I think that more people were uh, thinking that this was a surefire thing than it actually really was in terms of, you know, exa- you know, Zadavian Sims. Yes, we know that he liked Oklahoma. He was almost close to committing to Oklahoma at one point, but obviously he makes the trip out to Eugene, Oregon. Dan Lanning, you know, that uh, uh, that recruiting staff, you know, that program get, gave this kid a lot to think about. And I think that once he, you know, kind of left Eugene, made his way back to Oklahoma, I think that, you know, the, the decision was kind of made from there. And then, like you alluded to, the the immaturity, you know, being a 16-, 17-year-old kid, you know, there's there's so many things. And we can talk about the message board idiots here in just a minute. But, you know, there's 99% of the population that will never be in the position that some of these high-profile recruits are. Uh, so, you know, who, who's to say that you would be able to handle some of these situations any better or any differently than the way that it does? But obviously, you do wish that some things would have changed. Obviously, there's some stuff kind of going on behind the scenes, some the some of the things that the way that uh, Sims and the, the C4 uh, group kind of went about this decision and in informing Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where you've still got four to five really good elite higher ranked recruits at that position group. Um, and obviously it's up to Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis and Brent Venables to close the deal on this. Cause again, momentum, uh, I think that Oklahoma still has a good amount of momentum out on the recruiting trail. Um, but by, by no means is, is this a black eye, uh, on uh, this this coaching staff, or especially Todd Bates. I think that there's a lot of unfair criticism out there. Uh, so let's give it a little bit more time because uh, no doubt about it, Todd Bates isn't going to knock down uh, one or two of these guys and bring them on board. If you're not on Twitter or not connected to one of the recruiting sites, you probably don't realize what happened after that. But uh, Message Board Genius, one of the Twitter accounts that uh, gets uh, photos sent to them of crazy things said on message boards, they tweeted out something that basically just showed, hey, OU fans being upset about Zadavian Sims. People saying things probably, uh, you know, that are pretty easy to say when you don't have your face out there, you're hiding behind an avatar. That's I, that's kind of normal. That's par for the course when a guy picks someone other than OU. I think that's all going to blow over. Um, you know, every fan base has those types of crazy people. And, um, you know, really, it's kind of surprising me that it happened for Zadavian Sims because, um, you know, again, half of the recruiting services probably were saying, hey, it's, it's a legit possibility. And some hadn't talked about him in a long time. So, I think OU fans probably, if they were tuned into the right sources, they probably should have known that, hey, this may not go OU's way because there's just not a whole lot of smoke in OU's direction. Mm-hmm. So, But overall, I think it's something that's going to blow over. It's going to be forgotten pretty quickly because this is something that happens pretty much everywhere. Uh, and there are a lot of good things mm-hmm. about the OU fan base that recruits do love. There's, they're getting a lot of love, even though yes. we always say don't tweet at recruits, but they see yes. a lot of the love on Twitter. Well, I mean, Adam, you just go back and you even go look at Sims's, you know, commitment post where he did commit to the Ducks. You go down and you look at, you know, 95% of the comments that are in that section from OU fans are all, you know, them wishing this kid the best of luck. Obviously, wish we could have had you in an Oklahoma uniform, but, you know, good luck out in Eugene, you know, uh, beat uh, Tebow out there at USC, you know, take care of business. But um, I I do think that, yes, all – 
major college football programs, all of these fan bases. Yes, we love the passion. That's what makes you know college football so great. It's what makes it the best sport uh, in the country. But there's kind of a fine line between being passionate and you know being a super fan and caring about your team and just I don't know, just going one step too far with some of the things that people say online. I mean, you know, Adam, it's kind of crazy. The obviously message board geniuses, you know, they capitalize on that. There's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of clicks that come from posting something like that. So, you know, fair play to them. That's, you know, that's the job. That's par for the course. But I think that way too many people put stock in what Sooner Dad 1964 has to say on the message boards about a 17-year-old kid that he's never met, that he's never met, that he's never going to meet. So it's just, again, it's these people hiding behind their keyboards that think that their opinion matters. And, you know, we I got to run to the mess. I got to run over to Sooner Scoop. Uh, I got to run over to Rivals to, you know, to give my two cents. It doesn't matter. Let the kid be. Respect the kid's decision. And let's focus on the kids that actually want to play in an Oklahoma uniform. So that's all I want to say on that. Um, but, yeah, just it it's terrible. Yeah, not not the best week or so of, of OU recruiting. And, you know, I would say to OU fans, buckle up because this is defensive line, elite defensive lineman recruiting. And we're going to go through probably some of these same things with other guys that OU currently leads for, maybe mm-hmm. like Williams Winery or mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Jonah Jeanne, who just – came back from a visit from Georgia uh, when Ari just came back from a visit from A&M. Uh, so I think there's going to be some bumps along the way. Buckle up. Like we're going to get some of these guys. We may not get all of them, uh, but always position themselves really well here. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you overall. And, and I guess Danny Okoye is another one I should mention there. OU mm-hmm. surging in his uh, potential recruitment. He feels like to me, kind of like a, a lot like Colton Bosick last year, like culturally, He's a he's a match for Brent Venables and that mm-hmm. program. Just hearing some of the his interview, that dude's mature. He's ready to be an OU sooner and really mm-hmm. fit well in this program. Just a matter of like, is he able to overcome some of the family allegiances to OSU? And it's a little different there because OSU may not necessarily feel like they have a chance of him, may not be recruiting him that hard. Anyway, a little off track there. But overall, from an OU recruiting perspective, you know, what's your overall feelings just at this point as we speak and record may 23rd a lot to be done over the summer the barbecue is coming up next month but what's your overall feeling as far as recruiting i still feel really good still have a lot of confidence in what this coaching staff and this recruiting staff uh is doing obviously uh the barbecue coming up that is a bit you know it's going to be a big time weekend we've already you know sent out the graphic we've already talked about some of the the elite talent from all over the country that's going to be making their way to Norman for those three days. So it's going to be pivotal for, you know, the, this coaching staff, um, you know, former alumni, former players are going to be back on there to, you know, basically, you know, go all out uh, in, you know, making these kids feel like a priority, you know, trying to paint the picture for them on this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This, these are the possibilities that, that are presented to you when you come and play at a place like Oklahoma. So again, in, in terms of, I, I think, you know, we'll stay on the Sims train and talking about defensive line position specifically. But I think that one of the things that Oklahoma fans, you know, truly have to realize is just because you have Brent Venables on uh, as your uh, head coach with the pedigree and the success that he's had as a defensive coordinator, just because you've got Todd Bates, who's, you know, put countless number of guys into the NFL, you know, he's got a proven track record from his time at Clemson, putting those elite level guys uh, in the NFL playing on Sundays at the end of the day, you're going into the SEC and at a, at a position like the defensive line where it's probably the most highly sought after group in the country because of the fact that there's so few elite guys that, that can play that position across the board. 
I don't care if you think that as we sit here on May 23rd, you think you're in a good position for David Stone or Nigel Smith or Williams Winery. When you've got guys like Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Texas, everybody is doing everybody is all hands on deck doing anything and everything that they can. Something's illegal, something's legal uh, to get these kids to be part of their recruiting class. So I, I don't I don't care how you know the the recruiting sides and some of the insiders. I don't care how confident you feel in the way that, that that this is. We've read this book. We've seen this movie one too many times. I'm not believing anything that's going to happen with defensive line recruiting until the ink hits the paper uh, in December and we can actually you know confirm that these guys are part of OU's 2024 class. So, But again, to put a bow on this, I feel good about where Oklahoma is. They've got a lot of momentum across the board in some really good positions. They're in on a lot of good elite guys. Now it's just on uh, this coaching staff you know, to uh, – you know, use NIL to our advantage. Uh, but also, you got to go out there this fall and you got to win football games. I don't care how good your NIL pitch is. If you go out there and you lay another egg, a seven and five, eight and four season, I don't care. What, I don't care what it is. There, there's no excuse for that. You've got to go out there and you've got to put the uh, you've got to put the solid quality, positive product on the field, and you've got to give these kids more than just a uh, you know just a we're Oklahoma reason to come play for this program. We spent a ton of time, uh, for good reason, talking about the defensive line. Because if you have highly rated players there, it takes a lot of stress off of the rest of the mm-hmm. defense and even the offense as well, where maybe you don't have to have as many elite players that OU's used to having. You, you can get away with mm-hmm. a lot less uh, across the board. I'll ask you this question. I'll answer it first to give you some time to, to think about it. But is there a position group outside of the defensive line? Because there's so many elite guys that OU's going after there. Is there a position group that you'd like to see OU surge a little bit more into uh, get some higher, you know, rated players, or just you know, give you more uh, hope, or I guess promise for what you could could finish with that position group. And my answer for that probably is linebackers. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a little bit of a mystery to me that OU hasn't done a little bit better with the linebacker position. Peyton Pierce currently committed to Ohio State. He's a five star out of the Dallas area, um, and then Sammy Brown coming in for the barbecue next month. But we all think that's probably an uphill battle. Clemson and Georgia, uh, probably the two favorites there. So unlikely that OU might be able to land him, but we've seen crazier things happen last summer with guys committing to OU. So um, linebacker is one that I would like to see a lot more success with considering that that is a Brent Venables position, even though mm-hmm. he's not officially the coach there, but is there a position group that you would like to see a little bit more success or momentum on the recruiting trail? Yeah. 1000% agree with you on the linebackers. It's something that Brent Venables and Ted Ruth, they've got their work cut out for them. Um, I do like what we've done over the last 18 months, bringing in some of those guys, but you go down the board and you look at some of the linebackers that are playing in Tuscaloosa or Athens, Oklahoma just simply doesn't have those type of, you know, th- that caliber level of athlete uh, in this program right now. So you've got to continue to recruit, get better uh, at the linebacker position. Uh, I didn't think that I would ever say this about Oklahoma with how this position has been played over the last 15 to 20 years, but uh, I know that Emmett Jones is doing some very good things on the recruiting trail right now. Obviously, with Zion Kearney, you know, being the most notable uh, recent, you know, commit for the 2024 class. But I think the wide receiver position, just looking at what we've got in the room right now and trying to forecast what this position group is going to look like for this program over the next couple of seasons, wide receiver is another one where we don't, it doesn't feel like we've got that that elite difference maker guy in the, in the program right now, obviously we just lost Marvin Mims uh, to the Denver Broncos, but 
Um, you know, the Keon Brown news, you know, him having to go the Juco route instead of coming to Oklahoma. I think that there were a lot of guys that had him pegged as being able to come in and have an opportunity to maybe compete for some reps, maybe take a few reps away uh, from a Jaden Gibson or, you know, so, some of the other guys like that that just haven't proven uh, that they've been able to, you know, play consistently at this level of football. Um, so, yeah, wide receiver is another position for me. But, I mean, at the end of the day, with where this program is right now and with where we're headed, for me, you got to stay in the front seven uh, on the defensive side of the football. So D linemen, linebackers, Oklahoma is doing a fantastic job right now out on the defensive end rush position with what Chavis and Venables and, and Bates are bringing in. But you got to beef things up on the interior, and you got to get more. You got to get bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic with the, at the linebacker position. Uh, and we'll see what Oklahoma can do. Let's talk a little bit of softball. OU won yes, the let's. regionals. Uh, really just run ruled everybody along the way there. It was kind of a, almost a snoozer on Sunday because OU was just hitting them over the wall so effectively that I turned on seven innings on ESPN plus I was watching all these, uh, you know, if necessary games going on. And uh, it was great to be able to just relax and sit back and watch all those other top teams struggle while OU was just absolutely annihilating Cal. Um, so now OU gets Clemson coming to town for the super regionals. That was the favorite out of their regional. They're the 16th seed. OU's the one seed mm -hmm. and, it's kind of interesting. It's it's a team that, um, you know, the fan base on Twitter a little bit stirred up some uh, some chatter in the middle of the year saying that Clemson should be rated number one back when they were, I think, undefeated, possibly. <laughs> um, they didn't finish the season as good. They they lost, you know, a series, got swept by Florida State, lost a series to Virginia Tech, their tournament team. They lost to Duke in the ACC uh, championship uh, series there. And so, uh, but they made it out of the regional, not not an easy regional by any means. They had Auburn there. That was a tough opponent for sure. Um, but now they face OU. And, you know, what are you expecting from this weekend, Tyler? I'm expecting a lot. Um, just kind of recapping what, what Oklahoma did. We always do a quick recap of what happened from the previous week. Obviously, Oklahoma winning the Norman Regional. 3-0, three run rule victories, outscoring their opponents 38-3. to They almost ran out of softballs at them. It kind of felt like on Sunday with the amount of home runs that were being hit out of Marita Hines Field. But uh, I, I do think it was, even though the competition level isn't like what we're going to see moving forward, especially starting this weekend, it was nice to see the bats kind of come alive. I kind of feel like Oklahoma, we've kind of gone through the last couple of weeks where, you know, uh, the offensive output hasn't been quite as high as, as we've, you know, grown accustomed to seeing. So it's good seeing the bats heating up at the right time. Girls getting a little bit more confidence. But, I mean, j just looking at what Oklahoma has this upcoming weekend, obviously Clemson Tigers are the number 16 overall seed. In the uh, in the postseason play, forty nine and ten total in the regular season, eighteen and six uh, in the uh, in the uh, ACC conference. Um, you just you look at this team, Adam, for, from top to bottom, and the thing that sticks out, you got to start out with two way Clemson star uh, Valerie Cagle, red, red shirt junior. Um, obviously, you know ACC Player of the Year. She's one of three finalists for National Player of the Year. Uh, I know that that's got a lot of Oklahoma fans stirred up. So, and you can already see the storylines. Everybody's kind of talking about. Okay, you've got Jordy and and, and uh, Jada Coleman, uh, you know, here in Norman this weekend, and then here comes finalist Valerie Cagle. Uh, for, for the Super Regional this upcoming weekend. And like I said, it starts and finishes uh, with this with this girl. She's hitting 467 on the year, 19 home runs on the season. She's racked up 57 RBIs, uh, all while maintaining a ridiculous .917 slugging percentage. And uh, like I said, she's a dual threat. She's she's dynamite in the batter's box, but she's even more dominant in the, in the pitching circle. She's got a 1.22 ERA. 32 appearances on the year. Uh, she's got 22 wins in that span as well. So, uh, or excuse me, she's 25 and six on the year. So this is going to be a big time test for Oklahoma. I don't want to say 
that she's going to be the best pitcher that they faced. Obviously, Florida State came to Norman uh, a little bit earlier this year. Um, so Oklahoma, it's I think it's going to be a battle. I do not by any stretch of the imagination think that Oklahoma is just simply going to cakewalk uh, through through the Super Regional this upcoming weekend. I think that Friday night, it's always like I said, it's cliche. It's always pivotal in a three game series. You want to get you know you want to jump out there to one zero lead. But I think that all eyes are going to be in Norman, Oklahoma on Friday afternoon because you're going to have Jordy Ball going up against Valerie Cagle uh, with what's going to be, you know, two fantastically, uh, two well-coached teams, two really good lineups, but two of probably the best, if not the, you know, two in the top three to four uh, best defensive teams in collegiate softball. So pretty evenly matched series. It's just kind of kind of come down to can Oklahoma's bats uh, kind of get one leg up on Valerie Cagle uh, and the rest of this Clemson pitching staff. I'm very excited about this. I think Valerie Cagle may very well be the best player in Norman <laughs> this weekend. And clip that probably and could very easily be 0 2 at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because sure. Um, you know, and we tweeted this out maybe an hour or two before we we hit record here. You know, top hitters coming into Norman, uh, this the super regional. Valerie Cagle, number one, hitting four, six, four, um, you know, from the plate there. But then Two through nine, I think actually two through 10, I didn't have enough characters on Twitter to put a 10th batter on there. <laughs> two through nine was all OU. And so Kegel's going to have to be otherworldly to to beat OU because, and there's other good players on Clemson, but just, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the numbers and I was very impressed with Clemson. I think they're a good team. Very but, good. But OU's got, you know, a team, like a real team of everybody is, could be a, a you know, a ace pitcher anywhere else. They've got cleanup hitters up and down the lineup, you know, for OU. So uh, it, it's a it's going to be a mammoth effort for for Cagle to even get one game from this OU team just because OU is so good. But I say that with a lot of respect for Clemson. I do think that their best chance to get a win is probably on Friday because it's going to be the first time that OU hitters are going to see Cagle. And, and I think that's probably where you see OU separate themselves is game two. And if there is a game three even, that, okay, OU has three different pitchers to throw at you. And I don't mm-hmm. think Clemson necessarily has that type of depth. Um, so I, I think OU will be able to win. I, I do think OU will win two to zero. I don't think it'll be something that uh, Clemson's able to steal one, but I, I still think they're a very good team. My question to you is if there are two games, and obviously that's what you, you, you plan for both scenarios, but at OU you're mm-hmm. confident, you think you can win in two games. What's your pitching rotation look like? Because you've got three great pitchers. Yeah, you've got three. I mean, I think you could also kind of make the Clay that Kirsten deal uh, yeah. is kind She's of submitting herself to where, you know, you feel very comfortable and confident if you have to throw her out there. Um, kind of feels like Patty's maybe kind of been saving her all season now that we're getting into postseason play. Typical Patty fashion. She doesn't show all of her cards uh, at the beginning of the year. She kind of waits until the uh, until crunch time uh, to, to really, you know, kind of ramp things up. But yeah, obviously you're going to see Jordy on, on Friday. I feel pretty confident in saying that. So depending on what the um, what the outcome is on on Friday, obviously if Oklahoma wins, you're up 1-0 going into a uh, uh, game two on Saturday. Does Oklahoma trot Nicole May out there, who's been very good, very consistent all year long? Uh, do you go out there knowing that she's going to face Millie Thompson, who, again, Adam, just as good as Oklahoma's pitching staff is, Clemson, while they don't have four, you know, um, you know, really good starters like Oklahoma does. There's really not too much of a drop off once Clemson goes from their ace to their number two pitcher. And looking at left uh, lefty Millie Thompson, she's got a 1.68 ERA on the year, uh, 14 and three record, 72 Ks to just 14 walks. So it's going to be a big time matchup. But I think if Oklahoma goes out there, takes care of business on Friday, 
I think you go. I think you hand the keys over to Nicole May. She's been in this situation before, and then you know that in a worst case scenario, if it does force a game three rubber match, you've got uh, Alex Tarocco and Kirsten Deal waiting in the wings uh, to to take it home and you know close out that series. But I'm very excited about this, Adam. You look at these two teams on paper, very very similar in a lot of aspects. Team batting average: OU at 376, Clemson at 316. Fielding percentage, I talked about these two being elite when it comes to playing a defensive uh, brand of softball. OU's got a .989 fielding percentage, which is out of this world. And then just right behind them, Clemson at a .98. So, uh, again, nothing's going to be earned. Or, excuse me, nothing's going to be given. Everything's going to be earned. It's going to be a big test for Oklahoma this weekend. And I just hope that – I know that the girls, I know that Patty's not feeling this way, but I just hope that Oklahoma fans aren't too confident because I think it's going to be a dogfight this weekend. If anything, it will be on Friday. Uh, Clemson's going to throw everything in the kitchen sink out there to try to go up 1-0 on Oklahoma to put the pressure on the Sooners uh, going into an elimination game. Um, So it's going to be on uh, Jordy and the Bats to, uh, you know, go out there and take care of business and let's put this thing away early. Yeah. Clemson definitely has some experience. They actually played a super regional in the state of Oklahoma last year, lost to Oklahoma state O to two in Stillwater there, but um, that team's, you know, ramped up. They've, uh, they've had a great year. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll certainly push OU to, to the limit there. Anything else on softball before we jump over to baseball? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I just, I'm very excited to see this. Obviously once postseason play gets here, Oklahoma, you know, kind of flips the switch, goes into another gear. We saw that from this past weekend, three run rule victories. And you know, in the back of their mind, they may not talk about this publicly. I know that Patty Gasso is not going to, no matter how many questions get asked of her. But there's not just the fan base, but every person in that locker room feels like Jada Coleman and Jordy Ball were snubbed for for being a finalist for National Player of the Year. And you know there's a little bit of added motivation knowing that one of the other finalists, one of the three finalists, is coming to your ballpark and you've got a chance to go out there, Jada especially, face the, face her in the batter's box, go out there and make a statement on Saturday, on Friday. I cannot wait to watch this. And there's some really good other regionals uh, in, in college softball around the country. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That Tennessee-Texas matchup is going to be exciting. OSU-Oregon is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in full softball mode. I can't wait. Yeah, a lot of good softball going on. And and top teams falling out like UCLA. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of crazy that San Diego State, I think, won that regional without even playing UCLA. So worked out well for them. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about baseball. OU, kind of the same story that we've been having for almost a month now, just hanging on by a thread with their postseason mm-hmm. hopes. They We said, hey, two out of three against OSU and Norman would have been probably the ideal outcome the most likely outcome that would have been, you know, helping OU into the postseason tournament. Oh, you got one out of three. Now that one game was awesome. I picked the right game to go to in person. Braden Carmichael got the complete game shut out. Uh, just had a great, uh, a great fortunate wind behind him coming out of uh, left field there that helped keep a lot of those balls in play for Kendall Pettis in the outfield to take care of. And I think that was the recipe that I wanted to see on Friday night. Braxton Douth that really has not been the same guy that we saw in March and in early April. And so I wonder if there could be some potential pitching rotation changes. We, we did get word today that Skip is going to go with Carson Atwood on the Wednesday night game. That's tomorrow at four, I believe four o'clock against OSU. Mm-hmm. Now OSU is going to have some pitchers that are out. The two guys that we saw on Friday, O'Toole and then uh, Hendry, I believe uh, he mm-hmm. was a reliever. We're not going to see either of those guys. They're out for the tournament. Uh, Hendry's out for the year, I believe uh, with a, uh, a non uh, injury uh, situation. So um, what does OSU got? Do, do we see Braden Carmichael tomorrow night? 
No, I no. We're gonna see Carson Atwood. Uh, Skip's already announced that's the starter there. I think what you're doing is you're it, at best case scenario you're probably positioning Carmichael to pitch on Thursday, uh, which would be you know either in a winner's game or a loser's elimination game. That's what I would like to see. I don't get the feeling that Skip is going that direction. I think he's gonna stick with Douthit, Carmichael, and then hit. But I think it'd be a real shame if you go down to Arlington. You lose game one, and then you throw Douthat out there, and you potentially lose that game without even throwing out what's your hottest, best pitcher exactly. right now in Carmichael. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be that would be potentially really bad for OU because mm-hmm. things are going your way as of right now. I know some bubble teams like Arizona State and Georgia lost today, so um, that's helping OU out to get up off that bubble because right now most people have OU in their last four in. Uh, they are currently projected in by most uh, predictors out there, so. That's good, but you would still like to win, I think, and be playing on Friday at least uh, or potentially Saturday because if you win the game one and win game two, you get Friday off. That would be huge for OU. Take care of OU's probably bullpen pitchers. Do the best you can against those hitters that have absolutely destroyed OU. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, OU's going to have a tough road here. They didn't really get the favorable pull in the bracket here on their side of the bracket. They've got Oklahoma State. They've got Texas Tech. They've got West Virginia. OU's got to combine three wins against those teams all year Mm. versus the top half of the bracket. You've got Texas, who you swept, Kansas, who you won their series with, TCU, who you won the series with, and then K-State, who swept you. So uh, not a favorable pull there as the side of the bracket that you ended up on. Well, Adam, I do have a question for you. Obviously, there was a lot of momentum around this uh, around this baseball team, especially coming off of the three game sweep out in Spokane against Gonzaga. We talked on the on the episode last week. What did uh, you know? What did Oklahoma need to do in Bedlam against the Pokes? Uh, obviously, to position themselves, you know, to where there's a little bit less pressure uh, going into the Big Twelve tournament in terms of you know your chances of making the postseason. You lose two out of three to the Pokes at home. Um, now you've got a situation this upcoming weekend where, yes, uh, by you know all the all most you know major outlets, most uh, you know major publications have Oklahoma, you know being in that last four in. What does Oklahoma need to do this weekend to simply just say, you know, we may not win the Big Twelve Conference tournament, but also at the same time we need to win X amount of games to where we can sit back on Sunday and know that eventually our name's going to be called. I think you at least have to go one and two, at one and least, two, because you're. Like I just mentioned a second ago, you're on the unfavorable side of the bracket in terms of teams that OU hasn't been successful against. But at the same time, those are high RPI teams. So you get a win against Oklahoma State on a neutral field. That's great. Same thing against West Virginia. Texas Tech, a little bit lower in the RPI, but it'd still be solid there. Um, so I think if you can at least play three games, win one of them, I think you're setting yourself up in, in pretty good position there. But again, um, you, you really want to be able to say, hey, let's get Braden Carmichael, Big 12 pitcher of the week out there. And while he's hot and, and undefeated on the mound, 7-0 and on the year, I think you want to be able to put the ball in his hands and, and hopefully give him a chance to propel you into this tournament, maybe make a nice run there to even improve your seating a little bit so that you're not facing you know, someone like LSU in, in Baton Rouge in a regional. Mm. So I yeah. think that would be ideal scenario there. If I made you bet your last dollar, does Oklahoma make the postseason? Oh, I have I have major trust <laughs> issues. Um, if they were playing anybody but Oklahoma State tomorrow, I think I would feel a little bit better. But it just kind of feels like OSU's had Skip's number uh, for, for yeah. whatever reason and, over the last. And no matter of who years. they throw on the mound, their hitters are going to yeah. annihilate They'll, potentially yeah. anyone that you could throw out there. So I, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Um, and I I really think O and two is a has a good chance of happening in Arlington. Mm-hmm. Um, well, doesn't mean but, OU's for sure out, but it could yeah. happen. 
But like you mentioned, the fact that Georgia, Arizona both did lose today and, you know, in their opening games of the conference tournament, I mean, that, you know, that, that does nothing but bode well for Oklahoma. But you know what? Um, you have an opportunity to go out there tomorrow, you know, get a leg up, go 1-0 to start conference tournament play. Uh, and then you put yourself in a position where if you decide to go with Braden Carmichael uh, on Thursday, you know, first team All-Big 12 pitcher for a reason. He's been dominant this year. Figure out a way to go. If you could possibly – find your way into a 2-0 and uh, slate where you do have Friday off and then you can kind of go from there or it's kind of an, uh, you know, a full team effort, all hands on deck in the bullpen to do anything and everything that you can to try to get to a semifinal or even a championship series. Um, you, you gotta, you've got to, you know, basically toss the, uh, toss the playbook out the window right now and just try to do anything and everything that you can to uh, win a couple of games this weekend. Absolutely. Well, we teased at the beginning of the episode, top yeah. five uh, that we want to do here. We're going to walk through our top five sporting events that you and I have attended in person, not necessarily together, but uh, our top five events that we're going to do. It's not necessarily a draft. We're just picking our top five. So there may be some overlap there. I know for me, it's going to be pretty OU heavy because that's the most sporting events that I go to. And uh, it's the ones that I place the most value on. But mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what your list looks like, Tyler. I'll give you uh, pick number one here, even though not a draft. So uh, what do you yeah. got? I guess, do you want to work backwards? You want to yeah, go from I'm five gonna, to one? Yeah, we'll start number five and we'll, we'll work our way up to number one. I do have a couple of OU events in this one, but uh, the other three uh, non-OU athletic related. So uh, pick number five for me, I thought that this was kind of a really fun question, really to just even think about and, you know, kind of recap some of the really cool things, obviously, from our time, you know, working at OU. We've uh, got to see, got to experience a lot of really cool stuff but uh so this was kind of nice to be able to reflect on that a little bit uh fifth number for for me on this list i'm going all the way back to october 23rd 2011 Uh, i had an opportunity to go to game four uh of the uh mlb world series uh featuring the st louis cardinals and the texas rangers now obviously me being a diehard rangers fan um didn't work out for us. Uh, I think that we were uh, we were one pitch away twice from winning a from winning a World Series. Uh, but David Freeze and Nelson Cruz uh, had different plans. But yeah, being able to go to a World Series game, uh, sellout crowd, you know, uh, 30,000 fans waving the white towels. Postseason baseball, there's nothing like it. Maybe outside of playoff hockey, but yeah, going to a World Series game four in Texas, uh, you know, that's uh, by far and away pick number five for me. I also went with the postseason for mine. I went with a Thunder playoff game. I didn't have a specific one that I wrote down for this. Just any Thunder playoff game, really. Just one the Thunder win. And I know we're we're a little bit removed from that. Uh, we're hopefully on our way back as Thunder fans. Yep. Um, but there is something really special, especially in an indoor venue when uh, everyone is united around one particular team. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much unison there. The energy around an NBA playoff game is pretty intense. Uh, so um, the star power that you have there, the drama that the NBA dream, uh, brings to the table there, I think that's that's pretty special. So I went with uh, Thunder playoff game for number five. Uh, Tyler, what's your number four? Uh, pick number four for me, um, staying in the state of Oklahoma, uh, but I'm actually going to rewind basically this time a year ago. Uh, the PGA Championship down at Southern Hills in Tulsa had an opportunity to go out there uh, on Saturday and follow the cat. Uh, follow Tiger for for 18 holes and then spend all afternoon just kind of camped out watching everybody else come through and then having an opportunity uh, to go back on Sunday, uh, be there uh, following JT uh, for most of the day and then being able to stand there uh, behind the 18th green and watch him and Will Zalatoris battle it out in the playoff. That was a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, p- uh, major championship golf on a weekend. You can't beat it. The fact it was in the state of Oklahoma at Southern Hills, place it hadn't been back to in uh, you know over a decade uh, was a lot of fun and something I'll remember forever. 
My last three are going to be more specific, but for number four, I went a little more general again. I went with the Women's College World Series game. I think Mm -hmm. there's something special about the time of year that it's at because in June, you're starting the game while it's still light outside, and then you're finishing the game under the lights. And that transition of lighting is pretty cool. Add to the the drama of, you know, the final series of of women's softball Mm -hmm. and uh, being able to do that right here in the state of Oklahoma is pretty special. There's you know, whether you go to a game in Norman or elsewhere, the energy and the interaction with fans on softball is something really special and unique kind of to that sport really at this point. So um, to be able to see that on the biggest stage is, is pretty impressive. And to do that when, you know, OU is pretty much guaranteed to be there in a lot of ways is, is even more exciting. So that's my number four. Uh, what do you got for number three? Number three for me, I'm going out to Columbus, Ohio, September 9th, 2017, the day that Baker Mayfield planted the flag on the O at the 50. Uh, after OU went into the horseshoe and knocked off Ohio State, um, probably the best away game um, that I've ever that I've ever witnessed. Um, obviously, you know the fact that it was two blue bloods. You know, you go into Ohio State, a place that is, you know, by no means easy to win. Um, I kind of was going back and forth. Uh, the twenty, I think it was twenty seventeen Bedlam. Actually, it was the duel between uh, Mayfield and Rudolph, where you know both teams put up. 45 plus that was a lot of fun uh being in that stadium to watch oklahoma pull that one out but yeah going up there to columbus uh with family uh watching oklahoma you know take down the buckeyes in the shoe uh lincoln's first first away game baker's final you know uh his final farewell farewell tour uh it was a lot of fun going up there to columbus and watching ou take down the buckeyes I also considered that same Bedlam game, uh, but I ended up at the same place you did, Ohio yeah. State, uh, with my number three. I almost coupled in Nebraska on this one, too, because I thought there was a lot of similarities, but I kept it separate because it felt like, yeah, two different games, two different events. But I think what I was going for there, and, and definitely at Ohio State, you know, you talk about stadiums that are filled with so much tradition and history. Um, you know, those are the modern day cathedrals of our society, really. And the the stadium itself looks like a cathedral in a lot of ways, which is, is pretty impressive. So. Um, there's just a lot of uh, nostalgia there just uh, from years and years before I was born, but also just me remembering back to that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's certainly special that OU was able to win that game and we were able to have that memory in such a positive light. Adam, I'm not going to lie. I know that the the pageantry, um, the cathedral uh, the, that is the uh, Ohio Stadium up there, I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed in the game day atmosphere from the Buckeye fans. I thought it was going to be a lot better. Um, you know, we've, I've had an opportunity obviously to, you know, go places like Texas A&M, even a couple of big 12 venues I've thought have been just as loud, if not louder, but yeah, fantastic way. Uh, I can agree with you on this pick number three, uh, pick number two for me, uh, sticking with OU football here. I'm going out to Pasadena for the Rose bowl. Obviously the outcome is not what any of us intended, but you, you talk about the Rose parade, the B 52 bomber flyover, you know, you've got, it's 50, 50, the, the grass, you know, Baker's final game, obviously, you know, the the squib kick, the emotional roller coaster of this one, um, being able to go out there and watch that, watch that uh, game double overtime, by far and away, it's the best uh, college football game that I've ever been to. Just wish uh, we could have figured out a way to score one more point than, uh, than the other team. But yeah, Pasadena Rose Bowl, hands down. I hadn't, I didn't go to that game. I was holding out for the national championships. I wasn't able to add that to my list. I'm going to do one here. Number two that I don't think you went to. uh, So it's exclusive to me. I'm glad I have it. Notre Dame, 2013. Those teams weren't necessarily the best Notre Dame or Oklahoma teams, but the entire atmosphere, the that's another cathedral, the aura of Notre Dame, the, the campus itself is, is just uh, something else that you can't really put words behind it. So, uh, but for the same reasons as Ohio state, I put Notre Dame on there for my number two. And then I think number one, 
probably we have the same one here and i'm sure a lot of ou fans are very familiar with it i'm curious to hear what's your number one go go ahead because uh we are not on the same line of thinking oh okay i had ou texas any ou texas game really the the entire fair the cotton bowl itself the the dallas weekend everything about it is incredibly special i i feel bad for college football fans that don't have this on their list but uh go ahead and wrap (laughs) us out with your number one i wanted to put the caleb williams ou texas game on there but i I, I had to shy away from it. The best, hands down, the best sporting event that I have ever been that I've ever been to uh, was back in July of 2021. Had an opportunity to go out to Las Vegas with a buddy of mine. Uh, go check out a UFC fight, uh, McGregor versus Poirier, number three. Um, j- I, obviously, we, you know we're running a little bit low on time, but uh, by far and away, one of the best weekends that, that I've ever experienced. Just that town, uh, Vegas, kind of comes to life. It's a little bit different during a McGregor fight week. So being able to go to the weigh-ins, you know, sit, you know, twenty rows up uh, f- from the cage for that entire car, McGregor's walkout. Um, I've never experienced anything like that. So yeah, UFC, Vegas, McGregor, by far and away, hands down, takes the cake for me. I love it. Well, that's going to do it for us this evening, and uh, we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.